Hello ninjas and ninjets and welcome to another episode of the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. This show is all about helping you to generate more leads and sales through your website. I'm the host, Tim Cameron Kitchen. I'm a best-selling digital marketing author and head ninja at Exposure Ninja, which is a marketing agency based in the UK. In this episode, I wanted to bring on someone to talk about email marketing. And I thought, who better to talk about email marketing than the chief marketing officer of one of the world's largest and most popular email marketing platforms. So I'm joined today by Eric Harbison. Now, Eric is chief marketing officer at Aweber, which is an email marketing platform. It's one that I've used personally in my very, very first business and lots of our clients at Exposure Ninja use as well. So I wanted to ask Eric what Aweber themselves do with their own email marketing, right? Because what could be better than what an actual email marketing company does with its own email marketing? So we dive into what Aweber does, but we also look at some common mistakes that people are making with their email marketing. We look at some best practice principles and Eric takes us through some of the examples which he considers to be the best examples of email marketing out there in the wild. So we look at what makes them so successful so that this Listeners can copy those things for themselves. So we talk about things like list segmentation. We talk about how to condition people to look forward to getting your emails. And we also talk about things like how frequently we should be sending, what sorts of stuff we should be sending, and how long the emails that we should be sending are. So I hope you get a lot of value from this. Remember, if you want the show notes, there's also some links to some additional resources which Eric has sent over. So you can go to exposureninja.com forward slash podcast. And while you're there, don't forget to check out the free website and marketing review as well. Now, this marketing review is carried out by one of the team here at Exposure Ninja, and we'll spend anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes having a look at your digital marketing, what your competitors are doing, and based on your goals, we'll map you out a marketing plan that you can follow to increase the leads and sales that you're generating. It's completely free of charge. There's absolutely no catch at all. If you're interested in that, then head over to ExposureNinja.com to grab yours. Anyway, without further ado, enjoy the show with Eric. Eric, welcome to the show. Hey Tim, great to be here. For those who don't know Aweber, perhaps you could give us a bit of a background about what the company does and the scale that you operate at. Sure, a great question. So Aweber is an email marketing platform designed to support small to, to medium-sized businesses, uh, including entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, startups. Uh, and we're an email marketing platform that lets these businesses create uh, and manage a database of names, uh, but more importantly, create engaging uh, segmented emails to send to that audience to, to build a relationship. And our company's actually been around almost 20 years. And in that time, we've serviced probably over a million uh, different businesses, but currently we have about over a hundred thousand customers on our platform that that run the range of uh, all those business types that I mentioned earlier. Awesome! So you guys have a lot of data about email marketing, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I remember. Um, in fact, Aweber is one of the companies that that we recommend to clients who want to get started with email marketing and they want a simple solution because. I think one of the great things about Aweber, and I hope you don't mind me saying also MailChimp as well, is that it's really easy to get started, isn't it? It's just nice and nice and uh, simple, straightforward. Anyone can do it. You don't need any coding knowledge or anything like that. Yeah, that's great. Great point. I mean, a lot of it is no design skills, no coding skills, no copywriting skills necessary. I mean, uh, our platform is designed to make it really 
you know, take out the anxiety of getting started. Obviously, with, with your background and the number of emails which Aweber must have sent out, I mean, you must be in charge of a significant percentage of the world's emails. Obviously, you, you have some really useful insight into what's working out there and, and probably also what's not. For, for many people, email marketing kind of starts and ends at the little sign up for our newsletter box at the bottom of the blog, which has like two conversions every six months and, and is just kind of dead. So perhaps we could start by giving a bit of an overview of what are the, some of the most effective ways that you see companies using email marketing today, whether that's automation or whether it's like piping people through the sales funnel. Like what are, very broadly, what are, what are some of the ways that you see people using email marketing? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, you're right in that, you know, a lot of sites have the ability to just, you know, like you said, sign up for the newsletter. And I think that may have been... Uh, powerful or popular in the last, you know, call, call it five, 10 years, uh, I think companies are getting smarter. And I think customers are getting smarter or prospects are getting smarter in that they expect more value from you as the business. So those that are doing it well are actually using the ability to look to provide value for the request of a name or an email address. And in most cases, people overthink the how much information should I ask for on that newsletter. And quite frankly, all you really need is, you know, the best email address, work email address, whatever it is, in order to provide the, the piece of value that you're giving them. Businesses should not just be saying, get my newsletter. Businesses should be saying, sign up today and get the top, the, the top 10 ways to succeed at X. And the X could be whatever industry you're in. So successful businesses are using email to build the value relationship from day one with non-customers. Because uh, if a non-customer sees you as the smartest and the thought leader in their space, then they're more likely going to be interested in learning more about your product or service uh, as you begin to use uh, a nurture series or send more relevant emails over the course of, you know, whatever that may be, seven to 14 days. Other successful companies, I'd say, are embracing, you know, kind of what I was saying before, they're embracing email as the hub of their customer relationship strategy. And uh, part of that involves making sure that anywhere that your business is, whether that's in a digital format or a offline format, you're thinking of ways to provide value and using your email database as a, as a, a way to collect and drive you know, prospects or customers uh, into your database. And then from there, it's how well are you looking at that database and segmenting the information in there so that you're sending customer information to customers, you're sending nurture information to prospects, and, and really leveraging the power of the fact that you set expectations so that they open up the email when it uh, enters their inbox. So there's a really important distinction there, isn't it? Because you said about providing value. And you know, we always talk about this with whether it's social media, you don't just want to pump out promotional stuff on, on social media because you're not going to get anybody following or taking any notice. And it feels like the exact same thing is, is true with email, isn't it? This is not just a, a broadcast medium where we're just pumping out our promotional stuff and we're just trying to sell, sell, sell. The goal here is really to build a relationship. And as generic as that sounds, actually, that's absolutely fundamental. Yes. And, and, and businesses should be thinking about every email that I send, am I setting myself up so that the recipient is going to want to see the next email? Because how many times have you received that email where the first three that you received from a business were great because they talked about thanks for purchasing or let me see a review or something like that. But then they send that fourth or fifth email that so just misses the point. And they may have used your name in the subject line, but the content after that is just not compelling. 
And there's no real reason they're not asking for more information to be more valuable to you. So I think businesses have to embrace the every email should link to the next email, meaning uh, there should be so much value or you should be collecting information in that email so that the next email you send and then, you know, therefore and therefore should be building off of some intelligence that you're capturing or that you're tracking from the email that you're sending. So maybe we could flesh this out with some examples then. Who do you think is doing a really good job of email marketing, let's say in e-commerce at the moment? Yeah, e-commerce, I, I think about some of the, what I love to see is, you know, I come from a direct response background. So it's been a lot about e-commerce brands I've been working with. And so many times retailers tend to focus on the sale and they don't focus so much on the brand. So I love brands that make the emotional connection with the purchase connection, meaning they're so relevant in tying the two together that uh, I'm thinking of them top of mind whenever I have a need. And two brands that come to mind for me are uh, Dollar Shave Club. Obviously, there's a great story behind their growth and and how they got to where they are. And Warby Parker, which is the uh, eyeglass manufacturer, to where you know I'm, I'm a repeat customer of theirs because of recognizing how they tie their brand, illicit emotions, very seasonal, uh, but also knowing what styles I've purchased before. So they know what to, to kind of lead me into as it relates to uh, when it's time for my next purchase. They're not inundating me with emails just because they know that my purchase cycle usually is two, two and a half years. And that's when they're sending me information uh, to know that it's time for me to consider another seasonal purchase. So when you start to see that blend between they really pick up on the on the the brand aspect, but also they're not always constantly asking you to purchase or upselling you, but they're being as relevant as possible. I think Dollar Shave Club will send an email update to just let me know, hey, we're about to ship this to you. Would you like to change anything in your order? And eight times out of 10, I'll say, no, I'm good. And just, you know, I, I, no action necessary. However, on those times where they, I've expected to see that email in my inbox, there have been times where I go in there and say, yes, I'd like to add something to my cart. So I think just that being consistent and showing that they're thinking of me and they're really looking to make sure that I have a valuable experience. Th- those are two examples that uh, that jump out. So that's a great example of Dollar Shave Club because obviously they're getting upsells from that, but they're also going to be reducing their return rate, right? Because this is about getting the order right. Getting the order right, exactly. But also conditioning me to look for their email in my inbox so that of the flood of 250 emails we all get every day, I may not open or click inside that email, but I know when I see it, uh, it stands out for me because it is that kind of every month I'm seeing the same reminder showing up. So yes, it's 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 making sure that they're getting the order right, but also building that consistency and conditioning me to to always look for that email inside of my flooded inbox. Really interesting point about conditioning. I, I want to ask you a bit more about that later on. For, for Warby Parker, who the purchase cycle you mentioned is about two and a half years, what can they do other than contact you every 2.4 years and say, hey, it's almost time to get some new glasses? How are they keeping you engaged and what are they doing to, to trigger that, uh, that consistency? I think they, I mean, they know my location and my location is uh, outside of Philadelphia. And I believe that that's where they were established. So they, they know my location, but they also know for events or um, things that they're doing that are within location or close to me. Uh, they're telling me about those things as well. So they show that they're supporting an initiative by, uh, you know, supporting a charity of some kind in a local area as more of just an announcement and, hey, we're having an event, nice if you can stop by. 
so when I see that sort of extension beyond just being a retailer and being kind of more of a, you know, charitable organization trying to help out, uh, that that helps to kind of build on that brand component that I talked about earlier, where it's connecting emotion to their brand name and kind of what they're they're standing for. So that's those are some of the ways to stay warm, if you will, over a two and a half year cycle. But the other thing that generates that um, that kind of top of mind is, you know, that cycle is also tied to the prescription. Uh, expiration date as well. So uh, I'm only as good as my most recent prescription. So I think that that too uh, helps to to you know still keep them relevant into your cycles. Got it. Got it. Um, the other thing that you mentioned there is segmentation and making sure that what they're sending you is is relevant. I guess one of the maybe mistakes or the easy things that it would be to one of the easy things to do when you're setting up email marketing for the first time. Is just have one email list and everyone who signs up for anything, anyone who buys anything goes into this one list and then you send out an email to everyone. So mm-hmm. why is that not ideal and what would be the alternative approach there? Alternative to a one list, um, yeah. one list presence. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, it's really understanding your audience. So, you know, everyone talks about segmentation and, you know, I've seen cases of over-segmenting or maybe not taking the, the time to think through what the best segmentation could be. So I think it is, you know, a list per whatever group or segment of your audience uh, is going to generate the most value to whatever your objectives are. Some brands that could be highest, you know, um, most recent purchasers or those that purchase the highest amount you know, some kind of element of revenue or value and having those sit in a separate list so you can be more segmented because these are typically purchasers that will look at your next upsell. And if you're a, uh, a retailer that has a lot of SKUs or a lot of uh, opportunities for upsell, uh, it could be relevant to segment a separate list in that way. If you're a, a service provider, you have a physical location. So geo-targeting is, uh, could be make more sense where there's the list of those within a 20 mile radius, because they're more likely going to be uh, able to provide foot traffic and tell others within their radius. Uh, so that messaging is going to be different than somebody who may be less inclined to visit that location or, or see you at a particular event. So it really just comes down to making sure that you are approaching segmentation uh, with a mindset and a plan uh, versus just, you know, it, you know, people think it's, you know, male, female, or some of these other kind of binary uh, segmentation um, classifications, and while they are true, they may not be the best thing for you to kind of rally entire campaigns around. Got it. Got it. Um, what's the potential value of, of getting this stuff right? Let's say we, we've got a listener. I was just talking to to, to a client who we're building a website for. They, they've got a, a previous history of customers, and um, they've never used email marketing. Um, I'm trying to explain to him, you know, the value of, of getting this thing done for our business. Personally, it completely transformed the effectiveness of our sales team and multiplied what what each person was able to do. But for for the typical business who's not doing any email marketing, what's what's the potential value of, of getting this stuff right? Like, what sort of uptick should they expect? Yeah, and that and that's that's a great point. And in that case, you know, that's a kind of a best case scenario because here you have a, a business that's probably thinking email isn't going to be a business driver. And the reality is it can be absolutely a significant business driver for them uh, just by getting involved with a little bit of thought uh, and the right amount of, of, you know, steps in place. But, you know, my background is in, in uh, direct um, response and ROI and e-commerce. And, 
you know, email as a channel that is part of your integrated marketing stack can be a channel that generates anywhere from maybe 20% on the low end to 60, 65% on the high end of your monthly revenues. So if you're not thinking about email as being a revenue driver for you, it's it's A, it's a great opportunity, and B, um, the cost to set it up or the cost to maintain is not necessarily a huge investment based on the returns that you're getting. Now, if your average order value is $15 or $150, obviously that, that you know, you can do the calculations, but uh, if you're selling a product or you have a service that requires some, any sort of lead capture, email can be, you know, one of the most effective channels as part of your integrated marketing um, campaigns or in, in, integrated marketing plan. And I say that because, you know, email doesn't become 25% on its own or 50% of revenue on its own. It's got to work into your integrated solution because, you know, when you're working email and coordinating with your social media presence and think of all the touch points your brand has with your customer or potential customer, in together is where you're going to recognize that value. So how do people do that then? Because the tendency might be to set up an email stream or a series of email streams which are just kind of running and then at the same time do social media stuff and they're doing their social media stuff over here they've got their email stuff over here and they're not really talking they're not really working together so how can we think about this a bit more holistic yeah that's a great point because uh, we often find that you know a a customer may be excited that they have forty thousand followers in facebook uh, and they're doing a, a lot of promotion. They're getting a lot of engagement from their audience, but they're not including a link in their bio or a link in a post, a pin post that references, hey, if you sign up here, you'll get this value. Uh, so social is a great driver of lead capture. And I even imagine it's, you know, because then the question is like, well, I, I'm, on, I'm on prospects. These are my customers that are hanging out on social. Well, great. Well, then on your form, just ask people to identify as customer, non-customer or take other measures to further segment who's coming to sign up. But you'd be surprised how many of your, your followers in social are not aware that you have a, an email list where they can gain value or gain some information or educational information from you that only helps to, to further the relationship if you're a customer, but gives you an opportunity to impress and become a thought leader for those non-customers. Perhaps it might help to also look at Aweber's own email marketing. Because I was on your blog today and I saw, I think it was an exit pop up. And I noticed at the bottom of your blog post, there's a, there was a CTA to get the growth blueprint email course. You're obviously, you're creating that content on social. You're, I mean, you're creating the content on the blog. You're sharing it out on social. Really, the goal of all of that is just to get the email subscriber, isn't it? Uh, it is in exchange for giving someone uh, educational content. And through series after collecting that information, we'll be able to determine is somebody a customer or a non-customer. But at the end of the day, while you see all that information, we, we've put a steady focus behind what is the content that, that our customers or our potential customers uh, want and they're not getting, or they need maybe a more specific hand-holding approach step-by-step, whether it's video or PDF. And that's what's driven a lot of the content you see created on our blog. Um, but you're right, the means of which we're capturing that, so a slide-in, exit pop-up, uh, we've tested those to make sure that the, the, the sequencing or when it's showing has given us the best chance to appeal to somebody who may be um, you know, visiting, just taking a look around, but you know, it's the value that we're providing in those, what you, get, what you get for when you give your name and email 
that we've uh, focused on by getting feedback from our uh, our customer bases. And before the call, you you were we were talking about feedback and, and the feedback process that you have with your own. Absolutely, and, and it's kind of something we're a little bit addicted to, and that's. You know, first, you know, in the last couple of years, we just learned to embrace. I mean, it's one of our core values is inviting feedback. So we decided to take that into our content and our connections with our customers and in our customer emails. So when we send segmented emails to various uh, customer segments in our footer, we look to invite feedback uh, through what we call a sentiment widget. And all that is, is a, you know, very uh, two icons. It's a, uh, a smiley face and a frowny face. And the only question we ask is, how did this email make you feel? So we're we're tapping into an emotion connect emotional connection. Obviously, you know, new release announcements or product upgrades may elicit a you know happy response. But again, you don't know unless you ask. So it's been a great way to collect feedback from our customers that says, great job, keep up the good work, would love to see more of this. Or for those that are giving um it did make them happy. It gives them a platform where it's okay for them to express themselves by saying, you know, this didn't make me happy because, you know, whatever their case may be, whether it's something specific for their account. But what it does do is it also lets us connect with those individuals and and help them. And if it's something specific to their account, someone from our customer support team will get on the phone with them. Uh, If it's something specific to our product, all that information is collected and shared with our product team so that as they're developing uh, and prioritizing things in the queue, uh, they have that feedback kind of, you know, at the ready. And we're not guessing in terms of what it is that our customers want to see or need as part of growing their business. Uh, so it, it, and this kind of, it's interesting because this all came from, you know, net promoter score is something a lot of businesses need to do. And this was kind of a very slim way of doing that. Now, granted, it's not the same thing in terms of collecting an actual number, but we wanted to take more of an emotional approach and connect with our customers on, you know, how, do the, how does the email make you feel? And then opening the door for them to give us some feedback. That's really interesting because it feels to me like a lot of the, um, a lot of the selling point for email marketing for, for businesses is that it's just automated and, you know, it's just this thing that kind of blasts out. Thinking back to our own experience, some of the most effective emails that we've sent out or that we have in our, in our pipelines are, Things like, hey, just checking in and see how it's going. You know, something that's really short and really personal and designed to elicit a personal response. Just like you said, it allows you to to kind of contact people one-on-one. So it's not just this one-way stream. Actually, you're using an automated thing or using a big broadcast thing to get individual responses, right? Exactly. And I think the majority of marketers are, are still using email in the way you just said, which is... Uh, one email to satisfy everybody. And, you know, again, the good news is there's opportunity to be a little bit more prescriptive and more personal in ways that don't take a lot of effort because you're right. You know, uh, if, if anyone's listening, they, they have a database. When's the last time you sent that one email that just said, how are we doing? Reply with feedback. And that's three lines, probably takes you 30, less than 10 minutes to create. But boy, oh boy, even if you have 50 subscribers, you know, who doesn't want to get feedback from, you know, five to 10 people, because when you act on that, you know, because that's, you know, don't ask unless you tend, you're going to act on it. If you act on that feedback, uh, you have a great chance to set up not just a happy customer or a few customers, but they will be more inclined to speak highly of you in whatever channel it is that they tend to communicate in or or they tend to um, engage with other customers or prospects like them. 
I, I want to kind of ask you about some of the, of the other learnings that you've had from this from this feedback widget, because you must have figured out some stuff as a result of the happy or sad faces, which was maybe surprising to you. Yeah, it, and one of them was, you know, we thought when we thought we had an email that was going out to announce uh, whether it was uh, one of the, the latest courses that we released, uh, the blueprint course you referenced. When we notified customers of that blueprint course, we were expecting to see a lot of good. Uh, you know, kind of more positive engagement than negative engagement. And it wasn't that we saw more negative than positive, but it's what we were getting when people decided to click either the the happy or the negative, which was it was less about less feedback about the the course itself, but more about ideas on other pieces of content we could be creating. So for us that that's that's awesome because it tells us we when we start planning for the next piece of content we want to create, we're not guessing. We're getting direct feedback from our customers where, you know, we know that, you know, growing a list is very important. We know that what to write in those emails is very important, which are two evergreen pieces of content we have. But what we started to hear back are some other ideas around monetization and creative and just other pieces of what it means to have an email campaign that we all knew were important. But here we are getting some nods and some indicators that say, okay, now we know what to focus on next. So it's really helped us be more efficient in our planning process. That's awesome. Was there anything that you thought, oh, you know, this is really, really good. People love it that actually people weren't so keen on? You know, when we release a new feature update, uh, typically, obviously, you know, obviously it's good for customers to get something new in their hands. So we do expect a lot of positive response from that. Uh, And the only time something's going to be negative in that case is when it's the feature that they may already know doesn't exist or not need and they need something else. Hmm. So in the same way, all it's doing is really just kind of is it's prompting people to think about their needs and are your needs are your needs being met? And in the case where we send out feature release updates, it may elicit somebody to say like, no, that's great that you're, you're releasing this, but I really need this. And again, it just goes back to that. Unless you're asking your customers, uh, you don't know what the most impactful need or want could be that you could address. Uh, so we always think, again, like any product uh, marketers, you're thinking, you know, get the release in the hands of the customers, let them start using it, let them start uh, getting value from something we heard from them before. Uh, but it's always the case of once you satisfy that need, there's always another need that uh, needs to be thought of. And that and this sentiment widget is just helping us, you know, kind of get to that point in a very direct way. Awesome. So even, even you know, even when they're unhappy, they're still giving you useful feedback, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it's the thing is like, you know, you, you, it's hard to satisfy everybody. But if you establish a way to kind of maintain consistent feedback, uh, I just don't understand how other businesses aren't doing this because if you're not, you know, opening that line of communication, you know, and yes, you may be sending a quarterly update or quarterly email, but man, oh man, if, if you're in a very, you know, kind of dynamic space, you never know, you may want to, you know, establish something a little bit more frequent and a little bit more uh, regular so that, you're not going to miss out on on something that may be you know p- propping up as a opportunity or a threat, you know, because you know got to got to be prepared to be nimble and move quick. That's a really nice segue. I've got I've got some specific questions about about email marketing. These tend to be the things that, sure. that we get asked, and the first one is frequency. So I know that there's no kind of golden rule of you should email people this many times per week or month. It obviously depends on the market, but how should people think about frequency? Great question. And, um, you know, for me, it's, 
let me try and I'll try and think about it from a standpoint of, you know, business owners, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're new, let's go back to, you know, just take it from this way. If, if you're new into email marketing or you have a database like the example you gave earlier and you're just starting into email, there's a conditioning that's required and there's a cadence that probably needs to be more frequent uh, initially to start letting people know that you're sending value that can taper off over time. And I don't, you know, there's no set time there, but just know that if you're just starting a relationship with somebody, you know, you want to contact them more frequently as you start to build your trust. Um, so if you're just getting started with email, um, when they're signing up to get that piece of content from you, you're probably sending a thank you for joining. You're probably sending an email every other day, uh, providing more information about you with options for them to connect to, to click to connect with you over the course of maybe two weeks. And then after those two weeks, you're probably sending twice a month, uh, at least to maintain, again, not just sending for the sake of sending, but by then you've been able to segment those that are signing up so you can start to condition those separate segments with content on a you know twice per month basis. Now, I won't say that's for everybody. That's maybe a way to start thinking about it if you're starting from scratch. But if you're a business that has been sending and you have a cadence, um, you know, step one is to benchmark, like, where do you, where do you feel your level of trust is with your database? And that could start with a very specific question that says, are you receiving this email, you know, not free, not, not enough, just enough or too much. And then based on the links that they're clicking, you can start segmenting and putting them in, tagging them into separate uh, segments so that those that want to get it more frequently can. And those that only want the monthly update, just get the monthly update. So you um, you can use the power of those automations and, and tagging and segmenting by uh, links that are clicked to provide more relevant information. Because that then answers the question emphatically of, you know, what's the right time to send? And the answer is whatever our customers tell us. <laughs> and that's and if you go with that mindset, well, then it forces you to make sure you ask that question at the right time so that you're able to set up that uh, frequency the right way. And I guess if you know you're going to be asking that question, you're also going to be really careful about what you're sending as well. Because if you're just sending some self-promotional crap, then the answer is always going to come back, I'm getting this email too often. Exactly, exactly. How about email length? Because we've seen really short emails work well, but you also see people running some really, really long emails. Do you have any, um, any thoughts on what sort of optimal length would be? The starting point on those, and when you find yourself sitting in front of that, uh, that document to type out you know, content for the next email, I like to say, think of context first before thinking about the content. Because there have been t- times where we've tested a very specific, you know, let's, let's think about feature releases. So when there's been a new release, we've tested a very succinct two paragraph, here's what it is, here's what it does, and then click here to learn more. And, you know, that, that operates, obviously we're looking for higher click-through rates because there's not a lot to consume, you know, compared to a longer email that is more exploratory and more explanatory in the email. Because again, the context for that one is uh, somebody that's more of a beginner that probably needs to, to digest and process more. So we, we segmented or sectioned the email out, the content to be very kind of like step one, step two, step three, like, what does it mean? Does it be very, not overwordy? but just make it more sectional so someone can skim through and see what it is that we're trying to explain. And then inside of each of those sections, we had a link out to the, the, the landing page supporting the release. So obviously it's, you know, you look for 
higher click-through rates, open and click rates from the, the shorter, more succinct email, because we're getting right to the point. And you may, we, we were conditioned to look for the lower click rates um, from the longer email because people may not get through it all. Uh, it may not uh, be too much, but those that do take the time to read it, we may find them to be more successful on the back end when it comes to setting up an account and taking their time and becoming more successful in the first 30 days. So I like to think of context before writing the content because it'll A, open your eyes to a testing opportunity, or B, it'll be very clear to say, oh, geez, if this is a, we messed up and we sent the wrong email, well, then we got to make sure it's just straight and to the point. And let's not mince words and just make it very factual and very to the point and should take three sentences. Got it, got it. That's great advice, context before content. What about formatting and images? And we've noticed that, for example, when we use too many images in an email, it goes straight through to the promotions tab, the dreaded promotions tab in Gmail. So by mm-hmm. default, tend to just use plain text. But I know a lot of uh, a lot of clients when they when they start working with email, their desire is for something that looks you know really professional, really nicely designed, big logo at the top here. How how do you think about that? <laughs> Um, I mean, when, it, when images are okay to use, it's just following best practices, making sure that you have um, the, alt, the alt tags and the, the kind of the alt text behind those images so that can be read, assuming the, the images don't load. But, you know, something, you know, the same concept may apply where if it's e-commerce and it's got to be product centric and there's got to be a product library shown and then, I, and, you know, client wants to make it look like a mini website inside of the email. If there's going to be a lot of that, um, there's probably value in conditioning those you're sending to to whitelist your uh, the sender, and you know think about the effort put behind you know whether it's after someone signs up to join the list or every now and then send a reminder email that if you want to keep on getting these offers, uh, drag this email into the primary tab. Now that's not going to be the BL end all fix, but it's a signal that tells Gmail, hey, I want to see this email in my primary tab more often than not. And if you're conditioning folks to do that, you can still use the images knowing that your recipients are more inclined to have asked and requested that this email from you gets sent to their primary tab. Got it. So it comes back to this conditioning thing. Um, so yes. We're actually specifically there trying to get an action. I guess also um, when, we, when you said about um, asking people a question, getting them to email you and give you feedback, I guess that is also going to be treated as a signal by Gmail that this is something that people want to read, right? So that's got to help with your deliverability. Um, it, it is a signal that they look at as positive, which in the case of our sentiment widget is just somebody clicking the email. But if you're asking, if you're prompting to say, reply to this email, and the fact that your subscriber would actually click the reply to uh, button inside of their email provider or email client, yeah, that's another positive signal uh, as well. So it's signals like replying to that email, uh, which, you know, again, case by case may have better success than others. You know, clicking inside the email, good signal. Dragging and moving the email from folder A to folder B. Uh, folder B being the primary tab or out of spam or out of promotions. Uh, that's another good signal. So, you know, when you, when you think about conditioning, it's it's conditioning two elements. It's conditioning not just your subscriber, but also conditioning uh, Gmail to, to see what you prefer and let them see that you're taking these positive signals to ensure that you're seeing these emails moving forward. Have you noticed a, a big drop-off or what are you noticing kind of industry-wide about deliverability thanks to things like the promotions tab? 
Yeah, I mean, we've done a, um, you know, we've got our own deliverability team here at Aweber. So, you know, we're constantly talking to the ISPs, just kind of trying to stay connected with what, uh, what it is that they're looking for. And obviously, you know, I liken it, it's a lot like SEO, where there's this kind of, you know, kind of uh, black box of what works and what doesn't work, but no one knows. You know, there may be 200 elements and signals that that uh, Gmail and Yahoo and, and, and Outlook look for, but no one has that list anywhere. All we know is uh, what's the best practice and what we should be doing, uh, knowing that tomorrow could change and they may be looking for something different. So for us, it's just a matter of staying connected. And I think industry-wide, there's been some cases with Yahoo, with Gmail, where there's been open rates that have been declining and just kind of, you know, it isn't tied to any one specific ESP. It's just industry-wide, everyone's reporting this just constant, let's say this off, you know, drop off a cliff in deliverability to a specific uh, client. And it's one of those things where it's hard for the population to understand that there is this control that exists with the internet service providers, the Gmails, the Yahoos, that can impact, you know, industry-wide what people are doing and what their success rate is in getting emails sent to the inbox. However, it isn't something that's so frequent that it causes a big, you know, concern and uproar. I mean, look, look at uh, SEO and Google. When they do their releases, you know, people are aware of it. They prepare for it. They, you know, read articles and blogs coming from, you know, various sources, and they make their best effort to make changes. And in our world, it's very similar in that when something happens, we try to do our best to research, contact them directly, because we have those direct relationships, and, you know, understand what it is that we can be doing differently as an email service provider, and what we can be educating our customers on. I guess it's one of those, like you say, like SEO, where anytime there's a change, there's always going to be winners and losers. So there's two ways of looking at deliverability. You could either say, oh, no, my emails are getting into the promotions tab. Or you could say, oh, no, all of my my competitors' emails are going into the promotions tab. All I need to do is figure out how to get out of the promotions tab. And then I have clear air. And I'm getting a lot more eyeballs than I would have done otherwise. So I guess there's always two ways of looking at these things, aren't there? It's just a tool that's just, just another step in the process. And that's a great way to look at it. Because, you know, when we think of deliverability, is that approach, which is great, you know, thinking about how how do I address what I'm seeing to be what can be a, an issue, but how do you turn it into an opportunity? But we we break down deliverability into four main segments. There's four main things that impact your success in getting your emails into inboxes. And a lot of people think it's just, oh, it's, it's all Gmail's fault. And it isn't all Gmail's fault, although they do have a pretty big part in the ecosystem. So it's four pieces. The first piece is, the marketer. It's what's the business doing to set the expectations? And obviously, like we talked about, it's asking to be whitelisted, uh, segmenting names. So it's only relevant information getting sent to someone who's expecting it. You know, that's the first piece. The second piece is your email service provider. Who are you working with? You know, do they have direct relationships with the ISPs or the internet service providers? Um, are they, do they have a strong reputation? All these things can be asked before you decide to pick somebody. So the ESP has a, a role that can be played. Uh, then the third is the ISP. So the internet service provider, Gmail, Yahoo, uh, Outlook, et cetera. But, you know, there's not much you can influence there and just know that they are what they are and just make sure that you're, whoever you're working with can, you know, get all the signals, uh, understand what the best signals are for them to get your emails sent to the inbox. And then the fourth piece of this is this is your subscriber. How are they acting? How are you conditioning them so that no matter what you're sending, they're looking for it? 
you know, are you connecting your your expectations to the sequence that you're sending so that, you know, like the examples we talked about, they're expecting to see your email, the time that you, you know, based on what you set uh, when they signed up or as you start to send more information. So subscribers have a pretty, pretty big role in it that you can influence, but again, you know, if someone's not getting what they want from your brand, they'll unsubscribe and that's okay. And if someone's unsubscribing, you'd rather have an unsubscribe than a spam complaint. It's kind of another mantra to live by is because spam complaints can impact you, you know, moving forward. Unsubscribes can only help you if they, if they remove and they're not active and they're, they're not getting value. That's okay. Then focus on those that are there for uh, the expectations that you set. Very well said. This has been really, really interesting, Eric. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, where can people find out more about you? And if they're interested in checking out Aweber, where can they do that? Yeah, so you can, best place to connect with me is on Twitter. And that's my uh, my hashtag is at Eric Harbison. And that's Eric with a K. And then to learn more about Aweber, just go to aweber.com. Uh, or you can send me an email. And that's erich at aweber.com. And I'd be happy to help get any information about Aweber to you. Thank you so much for joining us, Eric, and thank you everybody for tuning in. Thanks, Tim.